Welcome to the number 10 podcast, where we talk about the biggest moments in Major League Soccer in U.S. Soccer. I'm your host, Logan Agin. On today's episode, I'm joined by Diego Gutierrez. Diego joined the MLS in 1996 for its inaugural season. He played for both the Kansas City Wizards, now known as Sporting Kansas City, and the Chicago Fire. In his career, Diego won one MLS Cup and four Open Cups. He has also appeared for the United States men's national team. Outside of the game, he was appointed to the Presidential Council for Physical Fitness and Sport by George W. Bush, spoke in front of the United Nations, and worked as a sporting director for the Philadelphia Union. Currently, Diego is a professor at his alma mater, Rockhurst University, where he teaches management and marketing. In our conversation, Diego shares a little bit about his journey, where he sees the future of American soccer going, and how the game has helped him after his playing career. I am now joined by Diego Gutierrez. How are you doing today, Diego? I'm doing well, thank you, Logan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so to start off, I just kind of wanted to go through a little bit about your journey into the game of soccer. So to start, you spent a lot of your youth in Colombia. So can you talk about just like what brought you into the game of soccer and what it was like for you growing up? Sure. Um, you know, I, I was born and raised in Colombia, as you mentioned. Um, I started playing soccer probably at the age of three, somewhere around there. I can't really remember. Um, and uh, through the years, I started noticing that uh, um, maybe I was having success in games and I was, uh, I was uh, a little bit better than everybody else. And uh, I started actually playing up. When I was 12, I was playing U15. When I was 15, I was playing U18. When I was 16, 17 years old, I was playing U20. Uh, and I got to play with my national teams in Colombia, going to various countries until I knew that I was growing up with that dream of becoming a professional soccer player. Um, I actually ended up coming to the States because my mother uh, had a dream for me, which was going to college. And so uh, we migrated here. Uh, basically, my mother and father, my brother and I, uh, came to the States with that idea. And uh, ultimately, I got to, to have my good share of college. Actually, 12 years, I when he put it all together between my bachelor's, my master's, and my doctorate, um, it's been uh, it's been a, a pretty crazy, a pretty crazy dream. Yeah, awesome. Um, one of the questions I had was, how does your decision to come to the United States and go 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 to college and play soccer in college? How did that differ than a lot of your peers growing up? Yeah, a lot. So a lot of I keep in touch with a lot of my former teammates growing up. Um, a lot of my teammates actually, in, uh, as is the story. Uh, with a lot of soccer players around the world, you don't really have education in mind, right? I mean, uh, from the time that you're a little boy, a little, yeah, a little girl, you start basically developing your skill and, um, and, and working full-time towards becoming a professional player. Um, my, my journey was different, obviously, uh, in that my mother knew that I was going to need something to fall back on later on in life and didn't want me to just focus on soccer uh, exclusively. So, I had really, really good advice from her. Um, you know, growing up, uh, my priority was always soccer, and so my grades were affected by by that. Uh, but uh, little by little, I was able to, to sort of create a balance um, throughout my life where academic ultimately became 
became the priority. A lot of my teammates don't uh, or didn't have the opportunity to go to school. They played for a few years and then they were scrambling and looking for something to do. Uh, thankfully, I had my college education and that I was able to build on and, and develop a pretty successful career. Yeah, so currently you teach at Rockhurst, the school that you went to for your undergrad. So I want, was interested in um, how, how do you see the college game different now being a professor at a university, especially just with the game developing in the United States over the past couple decades like how have you seen just the college game change just at, your, at that school and just across the United States? Sure um, well I mean it, it, it is very different I mean I remember when I came here um, and I came here with a, a lot of scholarship opportunities obviously having played uh, with the Columbia National team, the youth teams um, I had a lot of different I think I had like 250 300 different scholarship offers uh, that I was able to pick from however um, the college game at the time we didn't have MLS, right? And so, uh, with the creation of MLS, with with the first year in MLS, and then you know a handful of years later, the creation of academies, I think the college game changed dramatically. In that, uh, maybe in some states, and and uh, with the complicity of of the U.S. Soccer Federation, that the top players they cease to play high school soccer and they focus on the academy development. For the game, it's great, or, 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 or it was great, the stretch that it had, but it didn't necessarily mean that you were creating great individuals who were gonna be successful uh, later on in life, right? If you skip your, your formative years, those four years that you might spend at a university, learning and developing the balance between being a student athlete um, and, and, and all those positive things that college life brings and you focus and you forego and you basically skip all that, uh, you may be, uh, a good soccer player earlier, but it doesn't mean that you're going to be better off later on in life. So it has changed a little bit. I'm happy to see that some of those steps have been retracted. And while we still have the, the academy environment, uh, which is for some players, for some of those elite players. I think there's uh, there's something to be said about just going to college and having a really good college experience and being able to create an identity and grow with the university. And, um, you know, I, I can I can speak highly of my experience at Rockers and my experience there as, as both a player and later when I came back uh, as an academic and, and a professor uh, to be able to continue to help the younger generation succeed. Yeah, awesome. So, you mentioned that when you went to college, there was no such thing as Major League Soccer, but in 1996, you went through the college draft to join this league, this new league. What was going through your mind during all this whole, that whole process to start joining this professional league that just didn't exist in prior years? Yeah, it's, uh, it, it was an interesting time because I think, uh, you know, after the 94 World Cup, there was a lot of expectation in Major League Soccer, but there was a lot of uncertainty in the air as well. I mean, we didn't really know how this league was going to come off, how credible the product was going to be, how long lasting it would be, right? So there was a, a sense of excitement, uh, but at the same time, there was a, a big sense of responsibility in that, look, if, if people at the end of the day didn't like the product, didn't like the game, uh, the league was probably and most likely going to fold. 
right? So at that time for me, it was a decision of do I commit my future to playing uh, in Major League Soccer and hope for the best or find a place where I can, where I can go play, uh, you know, places, other leagues that have, a, you know, 100 years of history and, uh, and have it become a more sustainable model for me. I opted to, uh, to go into Major League Soccer primarily because I got drafted by uh, what had by then become my, my hometown, Kansas City. And I got, to, I got to play in front of my parents. And that was, for me, a dream come true. I was close enough leaving uh, college to where I knew I could come back and it wouldn't be years and years of taking classes and so on. So my promise that I made to my mom and, and getting my college education, I was still going to be able to fulfill that at some point. And uh, look, the first year was a really good surprise. I mean, we, we, we saw some good soccer, a little bit of a different, different rules, you know, the clock counting backwards and we had the shootout and all these other gimmicks to, to attract American fans. But over time, we realized that uh, going back to, to the purity of the game was, was the best move. And uh, I'm happy to say that I've, uh, in way, one way or another, because I'm still involved, uh, been part of Major League Soccer for the last 25 years. Awesome. So I want to fast forward. So you spent your first two seasons at Kansas City, and then you joined the Chicago Fire through the expansion draft. And one thing is, like you mentioned, most other leagues in the world have been around for like hundreds of years, and they don't do things like expansion drafts. It's, very, it's right. a very American thing. What was it like for you to go through that whole process? It, <laughs> It's funny because, you know, it was the first round of expansion that we ever had in the league, right? So at the time, Miami and Chicago were coming into the league. Uh, it just happened the second year in the league for me, 1997. I, I blew my knee, so I didn't get to play not even a minute of that season. What ended up happening was, despite the fact that I was a starting player and so on, um, they had the uncertainty of whether I was going to come back being the same player or not. And so the mechanism that was in place for teams that were already existing was essentially you can protect 10 of your 11 starters and you have to basically let the other teams pick from uh, whoever you're not protecting. Right. And so being hurt, I don't think Kansas city thought that I was going to get picked because I hadn't played in a year. Uh, but sure enough, Bob Bradley, uh, I was on vacation back in Columbia and Bob Bradley called me and he said, Hey, listen, I just, uh, we just picked you and hopefully you'll, uh, you'll join us in Chicago next year. And I was like, what Chicago? I had actually spoken with Miami with the possibility that they would pick me. And, um, I ended up going to Chicago. One of the best things that ever happened in my career was, was being able to play with that group of players who in a sense, we had a chip on our shoulder because, in reality, it was players that weren't originally protected, which meant that uh, in, in, in a variety of ways, they weren't wanted, right? And so what we found was that when we got together in Chicago, all of these guys that, uh, that had a chip on their shoulder um, and had a lot to prove, we went out and, and became a real group and became a real team. And we were able to, to not only win MLS Cup, but also win M uh, the U.S. Open Cup. So it was a fantastic year for me. Yeah, I actually was going to ask you about that season because before that, the only team that had won MLS Cup in was the was DC United, who you beat two to nothing in the final, a final where you scored. So could you just 
walk me through that whole moment of that day just going and winning that and then a few days later turning around and winning the open cup just yeah that. you know it, it, that season was was great in in many respects I, I would say the the one thing that i remember uh like i said um uh, there's nothing better than when you put a group of individuals together who actually grow together throughout a year and become a real team right and do something special and, and are they able to to lift the trophy at the end of the day um we had a lot of different personalities. We were led by by four European players, three Polish, one Czech, that I mean were very, very experienced. And you know, with their leadership and Bob's leadership, uh, we had a bunch of players like Chris Armas and CJ Brown and um, you know Jesse Marsh, who's now coaching out in, uh, coaching in Europe. Myself, Zach Thornton, guys that uh, you know really took our job seriously and we we became brothers right these are long long lifelong uh, friendships that i have with these guys it's a brotherhood uh, we were able to really come together and do something special that's probably one of the most satisfying things that you can do um winning mls cup was great everybody thought that dc united was going to come in and basically sweep the floor with us and uh you know we had a really good game plan and, and came in and we were able to put away the chances that we had and and hold on for the 2-0 win to turn around then, right, with all the ecstasy and the excitement and everything that's going on, uh, to basically be able to concentrate again to be able to win another trophy uh, was um, was extremely special. That day was, I know, a special day for Frankie Pope as one of my my closest and dear friends who was a Chicago guy and ended up uh, scoring the winning goal against Columbus. So. Again, you know, doing it all together as a group, no, you know, no big stars, no individuals, but doing it in a collective fashion was probably what was most satisfying. Yeah, awesome. And one of the things that interested me about it, about that season, is just working under Bob Bradley, because that was his first season being a head coach. Before that, he had worked under Bruce Arena. So what was it like working with him during that time in how have you seen him grow since then, since like he's been with the national team, he's coached at other clubs internationally, and now he's currently at LAFC, who's always considered, at least in the past few years, has been considered a title contender every single year. So what were your thoughts working with him? Yeah, well, you know, Bob had a, Bob comes from a sports family, right? Uh, a brother who was a major leaguer, uh, a sports writer, uh, as another brother, uh, Bob was was a, a good player himself. Went to Princeton, and I think one of the qualities that he brings is uh, is the leadership factor. And uh, I, you know, I consider Bob one of my mentors, uh, a man who taught me a tremendous amount at a crucial point in my life. I had just, uh, like I mentioned, bounced back from an injury, so coming back from adversity and. Um, you know, being able to, to, to sort of groom a, a player through that process and provide encouragement and motivation. I had just gotten married, uh, become a father. So, you know, uh, also off the field, sort of having uh, somebody in your ear that's uh, driving that sense of responsibility. Uh, all of that experience of working with Bob for me was, was tremendously beneficial. I mean, um, in, in many ways, I, I learned how to be uh, grown up man, right? Uh, with with the mentorship 
that I had from Bob and, and a couple others individuals throughout my life. But the leadership, I think, is probably what separates him, the, the attention to detail, uh, the amount of hours that he works. Everybody thinks that maybe being a professional coach is, you know, just show up on the day of or what. Not at all. I mean, the amount of hours and the amount of work that you have to do with 30, 30 players on your roster, with assistant coaches, with, you know, general managers, with medical staff, just managing a team, right? That's why they use the word manager. Uh, having to basically juggle it all and doing it efficiently is something that I learned uh, for him that later on, you know, uh, served a tremendous purpose for me in business. So Bob has been uh, absolutely tremendous in my life and nothing but happy that, uh, that he continues to have success at every level, right? I mean, he um, is coaching three or four different countries, uh, taking national teams to World Cups, so just delighted to see his success. Definitely. So I want to wrap up a little bit about your MLS career. So you won three more Open Cups, with, both with the Fire in 2000 and 06 and the Kansas City Wizards in 2004. But I kind of want to transition into your international career. And you and I have spoken about this before, but I just would love to hear a little bit about it. So you started and you represented Columbia, as you mentioned, on the youth level but you also got a cap for the United States men's national team. So could you share a little bit about that whole journey for you? Yeah, it was a, it was a great period. I mean, I was in the prime of my career, 27, 28 years old. Unfortunately, at that time, FIFA had not created a mechanism that was clear for players uh, to represent national teams, right? So for example, Chris, uh, Chris Armas had played a game with, uh, I think, a game or two with Puerto Rico. Even, and even though it wasn't a sanctioned FIFA event, the fact that he had put on a jersey with somebody else then created doubt on whether he could represent the U.S. or not. For me, it was more or less the same thing because I had played with youth nationals through a long process with FIFA. Uh, number one, me to become a U.S. citizen, to be eligible to play for the national team, but then for FIFA to clear me to be able to play, and they had to, you know, collaborate with the Colombian Federation and basically come to a conclusion that I could, in fact, uh, play with the national team. Unfortunately, that very game that I played with the national team, I fractured my kneecap uh, four months before the World Cup, and I ended up not, not going to the tournament, so, um, but I was still involved with the uh, uh, another qualifying process. So I was, I was in the mix for 2002 and then came back to the national team in 2004, 2005, and 2006. Okay, awesome. So recently, FIFA adjusted some of the rules in regard to their dual nationals when it comes to eligibility, and it makes it easier for um, them to be able to switch countries or at representation before they reach three caps, right. turn 21 and represent a country in the World Cup. So this is why Eunice Musa was able to represent the men's national team in the most recent November friendly. So what are your thoughts on this change in like policy that just came out like this year? Well, I mean, as a player, I think it's, it's good, right? It's good mm -hmm. because if you have experiences with one federation uh, and you're actually eligible to represent somebody else as a player, you want to be able to have options, right? Just like, just like, uh, like any other industry, you want to be able to have those options. Um, um, you know, we've had in the last handful of years, uh, uh, a lot of players that are actually eligible for one, two, three, maybe even four national teams. So finding the right fit, uh, 
for the player. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. As a matter of fact, I think it's good because it helps federations compete for that type of talent. And if you're able to do that and, and federations are able to, to compete, then that means that the, the international game is going to be elevated, right? And so I think it's, uh, it's good for the international game. It's good for the players. And I think it keeps federations on their toes as well. I mean, you have to be able to provide players with the right environments, the right trainings, the right, the right facilities for players to be able to say, okay, well, I'm going to pick you as opposed to picking a different country. Yeah, definitely. I think it just adds more parity to the world game because certain countries Absolutely. can't stockpile every single star player that yeah. somehow is eligible for their country. Um, I want to transition a little bit to off the field. So in 2007, you were awarded the MLS Humanitarian of the Year for your work to raise awareness around malaria. You even got to the opportunity to speak in front of the UN. Could you share a little bit about just that whole experience? Yeah, that was, that was a, a very unique experience and something that I, that I took very seriously uh, at that time. Um, my daughters were probably eight and nine years old. And one of the messages that really resonated with me was the fact that there were children dying all over the world because of a mosquito bite, right? Especially children under the age of five were dying simply because they didn't have a mosquito net. And so I actually, um, I was playing in Chicago and I had uh, some friends of ours who their daughters played with my daughters as well, <clears throat> who asked me a question and it was very simple. They asked me, well, how come soccer is not really involved with the number one killer of children in the world? And so as I started learning more and more about malaria, I realized that uh, it was an opportunity for me to use my platform as a, as a professional athlete. I mean, every single sport, uh, as Rick Riley, right, the, the legendary writer for Sports Illustrated, as he put it, every single sport uses nets, uh, you know, in, in their sport, whether it's basketball, uses a net, football uses a net to, 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 to catch the ball when it goes through the uprights, right? We use, you know, soccer nets when, when we score a goal. And um, why, why is there no involvement specifically from soccer? So, uh, as I thought about this, I gave, I gave it more and more thought with my wife and, and uh, we decided that maybe we'll have a fundraiser uh, for malaria and we'll create some awareness and then that evolved into not only doing that, but me speaking to a bunch of other MLS athletes and then we had ambassadors in pretty much every team. And so it became a league initiative and beyond that, it became a FIFA initiative because we were able to hook up with with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the UN and Major League Soccer. And it actually started a conversation where malaria became the official campaign for the 2010 World Cup. So the impact um, that we as, uh, as athletes are able to have just by utilizing our platform, it's, it's something that's extremely powerful and something that I'm very proud about. Awesome. Um so then after your career, you were appointed to be a part of the Presidential Council for Fitness and Sport in the White House. So could you share a little bit about what you did under that job? Yeah, the, the Presidential uh, Council for Fitness, Sports and Nutrition essentially focuses on campaigns and programs to uh, elevate the, 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 the level of fitness and health overall in the country, right? And it, the First Lady is primarily involved with that, although you are appointed by the President of the United States. 
And so it's a group of 18 influential Americans who are basically coming up with ideas and programs and formats to be able to promote health and a healthy lifestyle within, within the United States. And so to be able to, to say that I was appointed by uh, President Bush in 2008 and um, uh, basically entrusted with that level of responsibility for me uh, as a soccer player, as somebody that basically came from a different country now, having an impact on my adopted country and, um, and really, you know, uh, propagating that idea amongst millions of Americans, uh, for me, it's something that, uh, that I really cherish. We're wrapping up now a little bit here. So you spent about a year working as a sporting director for the Philadelphia Union, but currently you're the professor at your alma mater, Rockhurst, as we already mentioned. How did your experiences as a soccer player and also working in sports prepare you for where you are today? That's a great question. Um, I think we would all agree that sports in general bring they bring um, a lot of different skills and qualities to life, right? Uh, the competitive nature that one might have uh, is important. Uh, the uh, concept of teamwork, right? Respect uh, towards your peers and, and your coaches and so on. Um, uh, collaboration, discipline, right? Uh, nobody ever had to wake me up. Uh, to go and you know be at training on time because it's that 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 desire that level of discipline that is required in order in order to make it to a high level, all those qualities that are somewhat the bedrock of what we aspire to be, no matter what we do in life, uh, are paramount. And I was able to do that through sports. Um, I I actually transitioned um, in, in a really funny way because. What ended up happening was I, I thought that I wanted to become a general manager, a sporting director. And that's what I thought was going to be my dream job forever. And when I got there, I realized what a different environment it was. And I realized very quickly that that probably wasn't going to be where, where I was meant to be and where, where I was going to be best utilized. Uh, but at the same time, I had done a tremendous amount of international work with the UN. I had done consulting internationally. I had to put... I put a lot of people together when it came down to business. Uh, so I was doing, I was tinkering with a lot of different things. Um, so I think the, the collective, all of those things, what I learned from sports from, a, from the very beginning, wrote those core concepts that we talked about, along with my experiences in the latter stages of my career, um, gave me the ability to be able to speak from, from a position of experience uh, towards, uh, towards education. And, and so when I developed an interest in academia, uh, and when I decided after I first, my very, I taught my very first class in college, that this was in fact where I was meant to be. Um, it really gave me the motivation that I needed to go out and get my, my, my PhD, my doctorate to be able to do it full time and do it in a long-term fashion. To wrap up our conversation, I just wanted to ask you about the general direction about American soccer and where you see the game going. Do you think it's going in the right direction? Do you think we need to pivot? Like, how do you see the game of soccer evolving over the next 25 years as we talk about the 25th year of Major League Soccer? Yeah, this has been an, an interesting year. I mean, Major League Soccer continues to make strides. I mean, I'm having been involved for 25 years. I I speak proudly when I say that uh, in order for a national team, for example, to be successful, 
you have a you have to have a successful league. You have to have a league with resources. You have to have a league with good infrastructure. You have to have a league with good exposure. And Major League Soccer is that league today, right? I mean, we have our games watched in over 130 countries. Um, we we've seen the the level of infrastructure that we now have. Um, I remember when the Columbus Crew first uh, got their uh, soccer specific stadium. It was the first one in the country, and Everybody was excited about it. Well, just about everybody has a soccer-specific stadium now, right? That's a requirement in order to even be in the conversation to be part of this league. So the infrastructure is there. Training facilities are there. The TV contracts are there. The exposure is there. The resources are there. And that's nothing but positive news for American soccer in general. As a federation, it's been an interesting year. Look, we, we've had transition, right? Uh, Rick Berhalter came... Uh, after coaching the Columbus Crew, your your hometown team, right? Um, he he took over the reins for the U.S. national team, and we are now seeing a generation of of young players who have opted to be have their their soccer education elsewhere and, and all over Europe, and and we're starting to to see what can be possible. We have kids that are starting for Juventus, for Barcelona, for Borussia Dortmund, for Chelsea for the top teams in the world, and that's nothing but excitement. Because I believe that as these generation of players continue to grow up and experience and, uh, and become leaders of their own, uh, that's really gonna benefit our national team. So I'm really excited about it. Not, not only the 2022 20, uh, World Cup that's uh, around the corner, uh, but really when these players are in their prime, 26, 27 years old, 2026 is gonna be something special here on our own soil. Definitely. I really think that this those past year, even just not even having games, it's really helped build the excitement around them, too, because I think we're all starting to move on from what happened in 2017. And we're starting to see these new players emerge. And especially like amid the pandemic, we saw them emerge even more. Tyler Adams scored a goal in the Champions League semifinals. Weston McKinney coming out of nowhere and signing with Juventus. It's all just been very exciting to see. Absolutely. I'm, I'm really excited about this new generation. I think the international game is, is a young man's game, right? And while you can have uh, experienced players sprinkle everywhere, um, I think our national team was relying a lot on that 27 to 32, 33-year-old type of player, which is good. Uh, but at the same time, I think the international game is so much faster, so, so much more dynamic and and Having younger players, especially gaining experience in the top teams in the world, is going to be nothing but positive for us. So I'm really, really excited about it. I'm excited about the academies, as we spoke about earlier, uh, producing great players. And I think there's, there's a really good balance in where we are right now uh, as a soccer nation, right? I mean, we have up-and-coming uh, kids that are playing in academies. We still have room for the college game. MLS is stable, and our national team is, is going to be much better for it. Definitely. Well, I wanted to give you the opportunity to plug yourself, plug anything that, that you care about, that you want my audience to know about. So go ahead. Um, not necessarily plugging myself, but I, I, I will plug. I mean, I'll, I'll, I would say that if anything, if I learned anything um, throughout my playing career is that maybe – um, professional sports, sports uh, not only provide a platform for what you care to speak about, 
but also prepares you in such a tremendous way for whatever comes next, right? I tell my, my friends and my family, know, I tell it all the time, anytime I get the opportunity to, to speak publicly, um, my soccer career was a dress rehearsal for where I was going to be meant to have an impact. And that arena for me happens to be education. And so I'm, I'm happy when people are taking their education seriously. I am um, sort of a, a walk-in testimonial of what education can do. Somebody that I, I, I can tell you honestly, I didn't really care about education growing up. Uh, but little by little, I started seeing the value in what that brings. And so just work as hard as you can, uh, get your education, um, get your experience and help, help others along the way. Well, thank you so much for taking time to speak with me today. Of course, thank you very much. Thank you again to Diego Gutierrez for joining me on the show. And thank you for listening to the number 10 podcast. Please make sure that you like, subscribe, rate, review, and share with your friends. Till next time.